What is up, you guys? Welcome back to Consuming Crime with Jen and Jules. I'm Jen. And I'm Jules. So today, I will be taking over as the host. Don't forget to give us five stars wherever you're listening. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and eventually Pandora. We're waiting on that just a couple more weeks. So today, my source was episode three of the cold case files she was never seen again i believe is what it was called so clearly i'm on like a series now because i think this is the the first one i did was on shauna howe and that was december 25th christmas second one was two weeks ago and now we're doing this one no i feel like i've been doing the same with my <laughs> with my documentaries <laughs> just keeping it yeah because you're yeah. doing um someone you thought you knew and then i'm doing uh cold case files also, guys, we haven't we haven't really plugged this a lot, but make sure you check out our website, consumingcrime.com, and our Facebook page, um, and go ahead and like that. It would be cool to hit um, 500 likes soon. That's uh, that's a milestone for us. But anyway, let's just jump right into it. This episode I titled "I Had a Dream." On April 5th, 1984, in Pleasanton, California, 14-year-old Tina Files took her usual route home from school. She was constantly bullied by a group of girls every time she would try to take the bus. And this caused her to start taking this alternative route, which was through a drainage culvert. Little did any of the kids at her school know, let alone her family, that this would be the last time any of them would see her alive. Tina's brother, Drew, always got home after she did. He found it strange that she wasn't already home by the time he got there. Their mom was not home either, although this was normal, as she would often go out and leave Tina to take care of Drew. Tina was also in charge of helping him with his homework and putting him to bed at night, which I think is sad. Like, where are you out as a mother? Yeah, that's like a lot of pressure on a young girl to, to have to have all those responsibilities. I just don't know where she... I hope she's at work. It doesn't... I feel like the documentary should have mentioned she was at work, but benefit of the doubt, maybe she's at work. After about an hour, Drew took his bike and rode around the area trying to find his sister. He couldn't find her, so he headed back home. On his way, he noticed an undercover police car. He knew this could not be good. Once inside, he saw that an officer was talking to his mother. She sent him to his room so that they could speak privately. He had a really bad feeling about this. The next day, his mother informed him that his sister had been killed, which is wild to me to sit your son down. I don't know how old he is, but he's younger than her. You're like you're what you're sitting your 12 year old son down uh your sister was murdered yeah like mur- you murdered who, who does that yeah i would just how would you say it so now let's go back to april 5th the day of the murder a truck driver was on the road and noticed someone in distress although he only saw one person and whether or not this person was male or female is unclear he pulls over gets out of his truck and starts walking down this creek slash drainage area The first thing he notices is blood, lots and lots of blood. It had been mixed with the water draining through the tunnels. Then he keeps looking and he finds the limp body of Tina Fells. She was dead. She had been brutally stabbed to death. He called police immediately. They arrived on scene and began looking for any evidence that may lead to who may have killed Tina Fells. There were no fingerprints, no shoe prints, no weapon. They did, however, find a purse dangling from a tree above them. They retrieved the purse, and inside was Tina's report card. Is it weird that at this point, I was like, I wonder what kind of grades she got. Like, I, <laughs> I wanted the, I tried to pause it to see, and it was obviously a reenactment. Oh, okay. So it wasn't her actual Fake report grades. card. This was clearly her purse, but why in the tree? We'll get back to that later. Police sent it in for DNA testing. The only thing about this purse was the fabric. It was a softer texture, so retaining a fingerprint would prove difficult. They didn't say what kind of texture, but I would imagine like a felt or like That's a velvet. What I, was, I was imagining velvet. Yeah. 
it was actually the color of your 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 slippers like a pink burgundy oh yeah yeah thanks julie you're welcome <laughs> i never wear those again yeah <laughs> just kidding the testing came back and there was nothing no fingerprints so what else is there now in order for me to get into the next bit of evidence i'm going to warn you that i will be talking about the details in which tina was killed tina had been stabbed 44 times 38 of which she had been alive okay i'm thinking it has to be someone she knows <sighs> don't know yet though but i just feel like that's really that's over it's overkill yeah it's overkill for sure um this amount the level of brutality must mean that it was someone that knew her Additionally, they took a closer look at the wounds and noticed something else. So when a blade with a grip on it enters a body, um, there's dents around the wound. With Tina's wound, there were no dents. This is important to note because without a grip, there could be a hand slip, which means the killer's blood, he could have gone down, sliced his own hand or her own hand and gotten some of the blood there. Yeah, more evidence. Mm -hmm. The wounds were also five inches deep. So now the police need to find a five inch blade with no grip. Police conducted a full grid search to find this weapon. They looked in, around, and miles around the crime scene. Someone could have driven away, tossed it out the window, you never know. They were unfortunately unable to find the murder weapon. According to one of the police explorers at the time, Pleasanton was a safe neighborhood. It was a place where you could leave your doors unlocked and your windows open. This murder took everyone by surprise. The next day, now April 6th, detectives go to Foothill High School and start interviewing the students. They were informed that Tina did have bullies. According to one of Tina's old friends, that day she overheard the girls saying, um, the ones that bullied her, that they wanted to tie her to a tree and stab her to death. The girls had also been caught throwing rocks at Tina previously as well. Oh my gosh, these freaking bitches. Bitches, yes. Mm -hmm. Tie her to a tree? Mm -hmm. And kill her? Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't, I don't like them. What I'll say at this point, when her friend came into the interview, I, I didn't really believe her. Just because the more you tell a story throughout the years, the more your mind adds something subconsciously. Yes. Yeah. So it, I was looking at her. I was like, I don't really believe they said that. But who knows? Yeah, who knows? Detectives questioned the group of girls. And according to them and school records, they were all in detention at the time of the murder had uh, at the time the murder had occurred. So this rules out the girls. Police had also interviewed two students, Steve Carlson and Todd Smith. According to Steve, a boy by the name of Jeff Michelson was running towards the culvert at around 3 or 3.05, which was around the time of the murder. Jeff became the number one suspect. At the same time police were at the school, they were also officers interviewing Shirley, Tina's mother. She had a boyfriend who had recently moved out, Keith Fitzwater. According to Drew, Keith was aggressive and violent towards Shirley. They were always arguing and he caused a ton of tension in the home. The night before Tina's murder, Tina had gotten involved and yelled at Keith, telling him to leave her mother alone. Keith was 15 years younger than Shirley. This had always rubbed Drew the wrong way. Keith became detective's second suspect. On April 7th, two days after the murder, detectives were back at the high school interviewing students. Some of the students claimed that on the day of the murder, they saw Jeff Michelson throwing Steve Carlson into the dumpster, locking him in there. About 10 minutes later, teachers found him and let him out. Jeff was known for picking on kids that were smaller than him. He would even grope girls as they walked past him in the hallway. Jeff also carried a hunting style knife. This would mean that there was no grip. He carried it on his belt. And guess what? Jeff had a cut on his finger, which matches the previous theory that the killer might have cut himself. When asked about how he got the cut, he said he was at work and dropped a pan. 
When asked again later, he said he was at work fixing a vent hood. So he changed the so story. Lies, yeah, I hate it. Don't change your story. <laughs> don't. Know what you're talking about. You liar. Mentiroso. Officers asked if he had reported the injury to his manager. Jeff said no, that it wasn't a big deal, so he never mentioned it. Officers obtained a search warrant and went through his home. There, they found two additional hunting knives. They confiscated these and sent them to the DNA testing lab. The results came back totally clean. No traces of blood were found on the knives. At this point, officers did not have enough to keep investigating him. So they had to stop. See, you don't have enough to just keep, yeah. you know what I mean? Even if they wanted to, they couldn't. And I get it. I get it. Because then they're they're labeled as you're just trying to push somebody on something. So. And he's a minor, yeah. so there's even less you mm, can do. True. Now, all eyes were on Keith, the mother's boyfriend. He had been extremely nice on the night of the murder, which Drew found odd. I don't think this is weird, but okay. Keith claimed he was at work during the time she would have been killed. According to his boss, he was at work. At some point, he had asked his boss to hold on to his knife that he would usually carry around. He said to his boss that he didn't want to go into his house with it. That's interesting. Yeah, this is really weird. This was probably around lunchtime when they swung by his house. Officers took that knife and sent it in for testing. It comes back completely clean. Bruh. Everything's coming back clean. I know. I mean, he could have other knives, too. Yeah. Like, why are oh, we testing true. it? Oh, that's true. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> that, was, that was a quote that I made. Like, maybe he has another knife yeah. that we're not looking at. Oh, see, to this I say, could that be his only knife? I wrote that down. <laughs> Shirley never suspected him. The mom never suspected him. Family members, however, were very suspicious of Keith. However, because the testing came back in clean, officers had nothing to go on and they had to leave him alone. On April 26, 1984, 21 days after the murder, there was a break in the case. A man by the name of Walter Nyman had sexually assaulted a 17-year-old girl in Felton, California. An officer said it was a near duplicate of the crime. The young girl had managed to get away, but it was also near a creek. At the time of Tina's murder, Walter was living in Pleasanton. Officers went and questioned his grandmother, who he lived close to at the time. She says, oh, April 5th, that's the day Walter came here saying he needed to move out of town. He had been flustered and completely out of it on that day too. What the? Like, in my notes, I do ask like, okay, you say it was a near duplicate of the crime, but was Tina sexually assaulted? Because that's important to know i just think it's crazy that the grandma said that i mean if there was literally another reason for him to be acting the way that's such a damn coincidence seriously on april 28th 1984 23 days after the murder police obtained a search warrant for walter's house they had found two bloody knives and bloody clothing they sent those to the lab boy if these come out negative <laughs> jenny's getting frustrated <laughs> the results come in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish you guys could see my face. I'm like, uh. Clean. No freaking way. The blood found on the knife and clothes were all animal blood. I knew it. I was like, okay, it has to be animal. There's no way. Like, hunters, yo. It's like, I can't trust y'all. After this, officers had nothing else on Walter and they had to stop the investigation on him. In May of 1987, three years after the murder, Shirley was looking through the newspaper. She sees an image of a man named Michael Ide who had been arrested for killing a young girl around the time of Tina's murder. Shirley thought this man looked oddly familiar. She started rummaging through her old photos and found a match. She had met this man at a barbecue years prior, which means this man would know Tina. She took this information to the police and they ran with it. They traveled up to Washington to interview the people they had introduced, um, that introduced the two of them. Upon showing the image with the mugshot in the newspaper, officers came to realize that it had all been 
pretty much a mistake and a waste of their time. The people being interviewed informed them that the guy in that image was not Michael Hyde. This crushed Shirley as she had gotten her hopes up. Man, poor Shirley. To this, I say, doesn't mean Michael didn't do it, just because it's not the guy from the barbecue. The case goes cold after this. Officers had nothing else to go off of. Shirley began having breakdowns that would last for months on end. She was inconsolable. She lost all of her friends, and her son would end up having to place her in mental hospitals pretty much every time she'd break down, just so she'd get better. That is so sad. Yeah, I know. It always breaks my heart for, like, the kids that are left over after a tragedy happens, because... It's not their fault, but it's just not the same, like, for the parents. you're watching your parent go through that, yeah. So, needless to say, she was overwhelmed. Um, In February of 2008, 24 years after the murder. Bruh. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) We've jumped. We've we've done quite the My whole life. (laughs) A detective by the name of Dana Savage put herself on the Tina Files case. I love her last name. (laughs) What the hell? Dude, I wish that was my last name. She was pregnant at the time so she was not allowed around any suspects that is crazy why just like for your own safety the liability is probably a lot like higher because you're you're at risk of two instead of one okay so because she wasn't allowed any around any suspects she had a lot of free time so she decided to dig through the unsolved cases and this is where she chose tina's there were twenty thousand pages worth of statements and notes just to give you an idea of how long and how fat these stacks are of cold case files The first thing she started with was the crime scene photos. She also took note that officers were mainly focused on people close to Tina. But what about all the other killers in the area? This is the part where I audibly said, what the fuck? What do you mean other killers in the area? Where where is this located again? Pleasanton, California. Is that like middle of nowhere, California? I don't know. I'd have to map it. I just feel like if it's the middle of nowhere, California... But I feel like that's where all the killers go. They they would. Yeah. But, so, I was like, what? What do you mean all the killers? That's a shitty-ass town to live in. What about the explorer that was like, what are, what are in my, hold on, let me read my notes. I wrote something about that. Oh, I said, what the hell happened in Pleasanton being an area where you can keep your doors unlocked and your windows no. open <laughs> with, like, ten exclamation points and ten question marks? Like, excuse me? All the killers? <laughs> like, you so let me go through the list in the 80s there were three men that were known for killing young girls in the pleasanton area in november of 1984 lisa monzo was found murdered and her killer was one was one that we referred to earlier on michael Ide. in december of 1983 a girl named kelly poppleton was killed and the name of her killer was robert rhodes in 1989 a man named james DiVaggio and his girlfriend kidnapped a young girl sexually assaulted her multiple times in the back of their it was like a sex torture van. What the fuck? Yeah, and then strangled her and left her for dead in an area near Tahoe. And Tina did fit the description of the type of girls that James and his girlfriend would typically go for. Additionally, James DiVaggio attended Foothill High School. Hmm. He had also disappeared for a few days after the murder happened. With this, Dana had enough to conduct an interview. However, she's prego, so she can't go. Oh my god. <laughs> that is like the stupidest rule, by the way. Only because I'm pregnant. <laughs> by the way, that's why we were gone for so long. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. I'm pregnant. <laughs> she handed this tip over to other officers and they took it from there. So they still got to interview him. But she just didn't get to do it. I just it. wanted her to do it because she found She's like, the one that yes. cracked it. Yeah. In the interview with detectives, James claimed he had nothing to do with it. 
James was in prison at this time and he would be spending the rest of his life in there as well. So he asked detective, why would I lie? I'm here forever anyway. That's true. James points the finger at Walter Nyman. If you remember, he was the guy that tried assaulting a 17-year-old girl, went a little crazy to his grandma, and then left town. The one with the blood on his stuff. James and Walter used to drink together and were friends at one point. Not necessarily a confession, but this could be useful information. Now we're back to Dana, who is looking over the evidence. Going back to the killer cutting himself theory, she asks herself, what would the killer have touched after the killing in or around the crime scene? Also, how did Tina's purse get all the way up in that tree? The killer had to have put it there after the murder, which means if the theory is correct, the killer's blood would be on that purse. That makes total and complete freaking sense. I don't even know why this was not discussed. Prior? Yeah. We need more women. (laughs) I know, for real. Please also note that DNA testing technology has advanced a whole lot at this point. Beforehand, officers tested for fingerprints, and due to the fabric of the purse, the results were inconclusive. Dana took the purse and submitted it again for testing. She had him. It was either James or Walter. On March 14th, 2011, uh, 27 years after the murder, Dana gets a call from the lab. They ask her, do you want to know who killed Tina Files? There were four drops of blood on the purse. This means the killer did, in fact, cut their finger. Who do you think the killer is? Walter. I bet you won't guess it. I'm trying to remember all the suspects. <laughs> you know who cut their finger? I don't remember. <laughs> oh my freaking gosh, Joy. Okay, a guy named Steve and his friend Todd were driving. They saw a guy named Jeff go into the culvert. Jeff had cut his finger and lied about it twice to the police. Jeff, the first guy. That's what you think, right? Yeah. It was Steve Carlson. Do you know how I knew this? The reason that I I knew it was Steve is because he said, oh yeah, Jeff Michelson went around 305. You're going to tell me you knew it it was at 305? Not to mention, Jeff had thrown Steve into a dumpster earlier that day, which means he was pissed and he wanted revenge. I fucking knew it. I knew it. Who knows the exact time of things? Yeah, that's true. Like, why were you paying so much attention? Like, Exactly. Nobody, nobody, yeah. Like and he I, had yeah. motive to pin it on Jeff. Yes. He had the motive. So it was fucking Steve. It was Steve. Who they talked about for like two minutes. They didn't even investigate him. All right. Fucking Steve. Oh my God. Yeah. Hold on. This keeps going though. So on April 5th, 1984, now we are back to the day of the murder. Steve's parents left him alone at home for the day. He tried getting people to come over and do drugs with him at the house. No one wanted to go. I don't know why I picture him. Like, you want you want to do some weed, dude? Hey, come through, come over. Let's do some. Hey, man, come through. <laughs> oh my god, what a loser. Anyway, nobody wanted to go over. That's what you fucking get, loser. That's literally a sentence. No one wanted to go. <laughs> Steve was 16 at the time and was always getting picked on by Jeff Michelson. Jeff had locked him in the dumpster earlier that day, and this pissed him off. After the incident, he went straight home and took his mom's car to drive around the neighborhood. This is where he spotted Tina. He had been speeding, and as she crossed the street in front of him, he claims that she gave him a dirty look, like, why the hell are you speeding type of look. This was enough to set him over the edge. I kid you not, Steve killed her because he was pissed at something completely different and was just mad that she gave him a dirty look. They didn't know each other. The way that she was killed was horrible. And because of that, 
Like, mm-hmm. I just felt like he... No, that dude was set off to do something, even if it wasn't killing her. He was going to kill somebody. He was going to kill or harm somebody. And the drugs, I don't know what type of drugs. Yeah. He, it doesn't say what kind of drugs he was on. But he was violent, obviously. Fucking but he was pissed at Jeff. Shit. He wasn't even pissed at her. Fuck up Jeff, dude. He's the one that fucking threw your dumbass in the trash can. So back to present day. Officers interviewed Todd Smith once again. Todd was the guy that was supposedly sitting in the car with Steve. You know what's funny? Hmm. I always, like, I kind of thought, I didn't think it was either or, but I thought, like, you know when they see stuff or they find stuff, I always think it's us. What do you mean? Didn't you say they saw? What did they see? That they saw Jeff going into the culvert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always, like, that was weird, too. Like, you remember seeing Jeff walk into a culvert? Like, that's kind of a coincidence. Like, I don't know. I just thought that, that Steve knew every detail too much. And I thought that was weird. Yeah. Like, 305. As soon as the, he said 305, I was like, bro, you did it. And I, I stuck with that the whole time. Mm-hmm. My ass, dude. Jenny, what were you doing at 215 today on the dot? Bro, I don't fucking know. Thank you. Like, yeah. me neither. Officers interviewed Todd Smith once again. Remember, Todd was the guy that was sitting with Steve in the car when they saw um, Jeff. Todd said, I never said I was with Steve that day. Steve Carlson had acted alone and out of pure anger and psychological displacement. This is, again, where you're taking your anger out on somebody else. The area where he killed Tina was visible from his house, so he would have been able to watch the investigation from a distance, which is exactly what he did. Neighbors reported seeing him on the roof of his, uh, the roof of his house. <laughs> Neighbors reported seeing him on the roof of his house the day of and days after the murder, like watching as they were investigating. Now it's July 26, 2011, 27 years later. We are at the Santa Cruz County Jail, sitting with detectives and Steve Carlson, who was in at the time for drug charges and sexual assault on a young girl. He was due to be released from that charge in two weeks. I'm going to play the interview for you. He was throwing up, guys. Yep. As soon as they said Tina fails, he started puking. He did not confess. However, detectives already had enough to lock him away for much longer than two weeks. The day Steve was set to be released, officers met with deputies beforehand to ensure he wouldn't leave the building. On camera, you can see Steve getting ready to walk out a free man, only to be placed in handcuffs again in a matter of seconds. This is why I love cold cases. Like, they really thought they were going to get away with it. Can I piss you off? No. Can I piss you off? Yes. I mean, you're going to fucking do it. His sentencing? He was set to serve 15 years to life for second degree murder of Tina Fails. Why? I don't know. Which means he could be out in 2030. 10 years. Minimum. But like, why? Why is it second degree murder? Do you think it's just like easier or do you think they just wanted to get a conviction? Maybe because he was a minor? Oh, at the the time? time. That's probably why. Um, The day before the trial, Shirley, the mother, had suffered a massive heart attack and passed away. No. No. They said she died of a broken heart. What about the brother? The brother's fine. He's he's cool. He's in the interview. Okay. It's kind of cute. I'm just kidding. What's up, brother? (laughs) Um, She had written a poem, and this is what I named the story after. I had a dream. It read, I had a dream. It was a beautiful dream. It was a dream come true. Tina came home. 
We were all home again. They laughed and cried, and soon the teasing I missed began. But soon Tina had to leave. Someday we will all be together again. I miss the family I had, and I wish at the time I knew how lucky I was. But the dream ended long ago, and her last words were, Bye, Mom. Yeah. This one's sad. Oh my god. Oh my gosh, Julie, are you okay? No. I don't judge. That's a really good reason. The bye mom got me though. Yeah. Cause you never think. That's why I'm always like, love you, mom. <laughs> I love you. Love you, mom. I never go stop loving you. Mom. <laughs> mom, if you're listening, I love you. I love you, mom. Uh, okay. Anyway, but that's it for today's case. That one was that one got me. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's wild. It's okay. I don't know. It's true. It's real. That's why. It's yeah. not. It was a poem that, like, her mother wrote. Her mother passed away of a broken heart. Like, that's sad. But. <clears throat> <coughs> Thanks for consuming crime with us today, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed the story. And again, don't forget to give, a, give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, everything. Y todo. You know it. You already know. All right, guys. Peace out.